makes me jumping and fall, makes me faint, but all in all, I love you, I love you, Wilma. Red rock is blue, without you, Wilma, without my friend, got a treat for our listeners today we're going down to north carolina and we have a returning guest to the agency david sawyer is joining us hey how are you doing hi david hey miss candy we're doing pretty great and it's, it's uh it's good to talk to you we had some some technical difficulties trying oh. to get this connected i thought it wasn't going to happen you know the zoom calls i've only done this is the second zoom call i've ever done but i really <laughs> like it Fun. oh good well you're you're a zoom expert now <laughs> yeah so you've been a you've been a busy guy since we last talked to you um, you've been uh, putting up rapid fire music up on the YouTube machine. I love YouTube, man. It's just the best platform for music, I think. I mean, uh, I like uh, Vimeo, but I haven't really delved into that. And then, uh, oh gosh, I like Apple Music sometimes too, but uh, I just love YouTube. So you've been writing lots of new material? Yes, sir. Every day, every day. I've been doing a lot of stuff on the fiddle, but mandolin is really my main thing. So when Just you're writing, do you, do, is it usually one instrument you use when you're writing, or can you write on any instrument? Uh, well, mandolin's really my main thing. So mandolin and fiddle, since they're tuned the same way, that really helps, you know. But uh, in the old time uh, genre, they do multiple tunings, you know, like they kind of the, the Baroque period of, of uh, tuning strings is actually called uh, scordatura. But the hillbilly folks up in the mountains of North Carolina, they call it cross tuning. So they'll do instead of standard tuning, which is on the fiddle or the mandolin is E-A-B-G, they'll do like double uh, or, or cross tuning like A-E-A-E. And they have one called dead man's tuning, which is D-D-A-D, which is really bizarre, but it has a really unique sound. Yeah, A-E-A-E is fun because you can you can play a tune through and then as a variation, you could do it an octave lower with the same fingering. Yeah, and it really adds a lot of drones because it's got a lot of harmonic information. Right. Do you start with the words or do you start with a melody or a phrase? Or how do you do it? Well, it, it, it depends, you know, because uh, the, the, one of the ones I was going to do today is called Nettie's Frog Gig and Kickapoo. <laughs> and I had the idea from that one from the, uh, the the Frog Hunt by John Steinbeck from reading uh, Cannery oh, Row. Oh, Cannery Row. Thursday. Yeah, and I love that novel. Steinbeck, man. Mm. Uh, Steinbeck's wonderful. The movie was okay. It was okay. And I still love Nick Nolte. Come on. 
Me but too. I love. I actually really love the movie. I have very warm feeling about it. I, it of course, it doesn't compare to the the story, but yeah. 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 <laughs> what about the other Steinbeck movies? So we've got um, the Pretty one sure with the, the one with the guy Burgess Meredith. Um, oh, uh, oh gosh, you got to help me out. Is that? Oh, oh, I, I've seen it. It's been a while. Oh yeah. What What's that movie called? Of Mice and Men. Right. I haven't watched it that version. I watched the one with uh, John Malkovich. Me too. <laughs> oh, you know, I don't know that one. I know the older oh, it's, one. Oh, and Gary Sinise. One. Yeah, I like Gary Sinise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love Steinbeck. Grapes of Wrath, amazing. Book. Oh, yeah, the Grapes the of Wrath film is wonderful too. It is. It is. Pearl, actually. Oh, yeah. So, so good. So sad. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> well, I didn't realize you were such an avid reader. Not as much as my mom. My mom can read, <laughs> my mom read a book at night, man. But uh, she, wow. she has, I wish I could read that fast, but I have dyslexia. So sometimes it, you know, <laughs> I tell yeah. people, like, it comes and goes. Yeah, me too. I have it too. It's better when I start fresh in the morning. And I love yeah. books on tape, but the CDs now, you know. And uh, That's true. If I were to do that, you know, it would be a, a nice thing to have the Audible and all that stuff. But uh I've always said it would be great if like J.K. Rollins would read Harry Potter if she would just narrate at least one a chapter. You know, I'd love it because I've read I read the first one like nine times or something. But wow, <laughs> wow, J.K. Rollins is in the news all the time right now. Oh yeah, she made yeah. some some what anti-trans statements? Possibly, yes, yes, she did, and um, you know, trying to figure that out. Yeah, me too, man. Yeah, but yeah, uh, pretty tough. I I love the the first four books. I haven't read all of them yet, and I'd like to. But I've been, only watched the movies. Did not read the books. The <laughs> first one, dude, I could read all the time. It's Isn't just, that wonderful? Yeah, yeah. But I love the first one, man. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't read any of the Harry Potters or see any of the films because <laughs> I figured everybody else in the known universe has seen them and read them, so I don't have to. Well, David, can you help guess why Eugene might like Harry Potter? Oh, uh, John if, Wayne. Go ahead. John Wayne's doing the music. The oh, there's that. But also, if you listen to our podcast, there's a genre that Eugene is particularly fond of. <laughs> and Not Harry coming Potter, of age stories. <laughs> it certainly is a massive coming of age story. It, I mean, it's an epic coming of age story. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Well, so David, you—I wanted to—I wanted to ask you about aside from music. I know you have another really interesting hobby. You're a collector. Well, I collect two or three different things. I, I love to collect <laughs> postcards and photographs, and then oh. uh, uh, seventy-eight records. I love seventy-eight oh. records. My favorite collection is right now is probably uh, photographs. So I've, I've got one of uh, Samantha Bumgarner. And it actually might be be put in the uh, Library of Congress. We're not sure about that yet, but uh, wow. we know oh, it's cool. her, But it hasn't been archived yet, so we got to wait till that part. Yeah. And where do you find these things? Well, I got that one from a friend of mine in Tennessee, and uh, I had to have it, but uh, he didn't know who it was, and I had it in my hand. I was like, "That is Samantha Bumgarner," and it's already been identified by like eleven people. I wish I had a picture so y'all could see it. Maybe <laughs> I can share. It. But it's a great image. She's uh, it's like. 
I think they're copying like a, a famous art piece from it because she's on the far left playing the fiddle, but like in the hillbilly style. And then there's three women in the photograph. So there's somebody in the middle that's holding up uh, song lyrics, but it looks like a scroll. And then the, the woman on the, the far right, she play, she's playing the ukulele and it's an awesome picture. But uh, I love to collect photographs. I and mean, there's so much, you know, so many variables in, in fo photograph collecting, you know. Native Americans, I love Native American photographs too. And you post a lot of those on, on Facebook. So uh, make friends with David and you can see some of those photos. That's right. That's right. So yeah, you've been playing a lot and, and writing a lot since we talked to you. Um, yeah. What can you say that you just, obviously you get some whimsical ideas. Name a couple of other sources. You, you got inspired by Cannery Row. Oh yeah. Um, well, dad, my dad, my mom and my dad actually were the, the, the big influence because dad actually toured with Chet Atkins growing up, but he toured with uh, Wolfman Jack and Eddie Arnold like in the, oh. in the early 70s. Wow. But dad actually, uh, well, there was this man named Bulu Bryant. I don't know if y'all remember Bulu. But, mm -hmm. No. He, he was a pretty big songwriter. I can't remember, I can't name names for the other folks that he wrote songs for, but when my dad and my mom went to Chet's office in Nashville. Uh, Chet one day was dressed up for, he really looked nice. And my mom said, geez, Chet, you really look nice. Where are you going? And he said, Boo Bryant had died and he was going to his funeral that day. And uh, dad knew him real well and got to play with him. But he also, my dad also played harmonica with Benny Morton. And uh, he played with Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys and uh, a lot of people. <laughs> Wow. wow, that's amazing. Fantastic uh, stories in history. Yeah, you, so you just, come by it honestly. I just found a, an old photograph of Benny Morton. I haven't got it in the mail yet, but uh, <laughs> I, hope it's, I hope it's Benny Morton. I can't tell yet. Okay. <laughs> and what about the 78s? So do you have a player? I take it you must have a I've machine? Four record players myself. And, and oh, wow. And uh, uh, if you ever want to get a, a, a great record player, go to a yard sale, man, because the last one I got uh, is an Audiotronics. Mm -hmm. It's the kind they used to use in the schools because it's portable. And the Crossley brand, they have great radios, but they're terrible record players, man. I, mean, uh, right. I recommend a Crossley. Everybody says, oh, just buy a Crossley, buy a Crossley. Well, you can get them in, in Kohl's or, or Sears, and they're just not. I heard the consumer, cellular, consumer report said that they weren't as good on your records Oh, um, I, I didn't know that. I, I don't think we have a Crossley. We did have one and it broke down and I got another, we have another record player as well where everything's in one. So you can play CDs, uh, cassette tapes it's and a console. Records. The console. Mine, yeah. yeah, mine's yeah. like, well, my mom gave me one when I got back into collecting records. So I've still got one, but if you want to hear, a, you know, a great uh, recording equipment an Audiotronics, man, not an Audio Technica, they're good too, but the Audiotronics, mm really my favorite because i've got two of them mm. and they when, still make needles for those things when when i was a teenager i had a, a console unit that had it had uh the the record player and it had the cassette and it had a track and mm. a track was the best because in the middle of a song it would switch tracks <laughs> well i love that <laughs> i knew somebody that had one of those i think it might have been my dad i can't remember but for some reason, there was some screw loose in the thing. So when you'd play your eight track, you'd hear the music, but then you hear, eh, 
<laughs> my gosh, that was annoying. That is annoying. It sounded um, like seagulls or something. Right. So you're going to play some music for us, uh, David. We should get to it because we do have a Zoom time limit today. All right. Okay. Excellent. David's got his fiddle. This song is called John Bullard's Tune. Awesome. Now, I wrote that for my friend uh, John Bullard, and when we toured as a family bluegrass band in Florida, I, we actually met John that way and at the Arcadia, the Taylor Hill Reunion uh, Bluegrass Festival in, in DeSoto County, uh, Florida, which was Arcadia, Florida. Mm. It's like It used to be a great festival. I don't know if they still have it. Who knows anymore? We can't tell anything That's going right. on. I mean, festivals, yeah. if we can imagine they're there, they exist. And then also, then they could be canceled right away too. So well, things are being messed with COVID going on. I, I miss live music. You know, I haven't. Yeah. Oh, I just haven't I done know. it yet. I didn't do a movie. I did see West Side Story and loved it. Oh, okay. You're the only one. <laughs> yeah, well, the only one who's seen it or the only one who loved it? <laughs> well, I, maybe both. I think I liked it better than the old one because there's so oh, much wow. do now. And I love the old one. I love the old one. But, uh, 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 I mean, Hocus Pocus 2 is coming out. I don't know when it's coming out, but I'm, I'm either going to have to get a hazmat suit <laughs> to go see it, you know. How was your How was your theater? Was it full or was it uh, sparse? Eh, it was about uh, four of us. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Right now, oddly enough, right now is the time to go see movies in the States because people aren't going and you're, you're you've relatively got the whole safe. room. You've got the whole room to yourself, yeah. Which is nice sometimes. Well, I mean, sometimes, yeah. I like going to the movies by myself. I know a lot of people get crazy about that. I knew somebody one time. She said, "Oh, I can't go to the movies by myself." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, seriously?" Yeah, and I do. I do. I love to go to the movies by myself. It's more fun. <laughs> it's very <laughs> relaxing. I like it too, and it happened out of necessity. It's you know, I I used to go to so many movies that it was almost impossible to find someone to go with. But, uh, you know, now I will for the podcast. If I think Eugene's seen something, I'll try to run out and see it. So that would mean I couldn't go with anyone because it's a kind of a, I'm squishing it in. <laughs> I read the Regal Theaters because they show older films, you know. Yes, but they I, do. Wish they, I wish they'd go back to uh, 
marathon films and stuff like that. Like I've always wanted to go see like a a marathon of Stanley Kubrick films. Or mm. oh, that would be awesome. I'd like yeah. that. I would too. I think yeah, you've got to find those odd art houses. There's one here called Music Box that does that sort of thing. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, you I miss, know, we we've seen a few retrospectives. I miss dollar theaters too, y'all. I oh, <laughs> that sounds like a good price. I love it. So you're laying low, but you're writing songs. You're not able to get out and play yet with anyone. Not really, because uh, my mom and I, uh, we both have heart disease, so we also yeah. live in, and uh, yeah. she does get some yard time, you know, like uh, right. once a month, I'll let her out of the house, you know, to go check the mail. She's <laughs> but I'm going to be an uncle. Oh, you are? Congratulations. This will be the first, this will be the first one, uh, Jonathan and Erica, and uh, we I absolutely love them. I'm a sister-in-law. Uh, we absolutely love her. She studied in for a whole semester, but uh, she's smart as a whip too. And she's never watched a Star Wars movie, bless her heart, in her life. But we need to tease her about that. But uh, so yeah, we already gave him a list of names, and I already explained it to him. But if it's a little girl, it's not. There's not going to be a little girl named Dakota, and if it's a boy, there's not going to be any boys named Dylan. Okay. <laughs> I gave them a specific list of names. So you they, gave them the the non-name list. Don't name I gave, them. I gave them the list of names that they have to pick. And if they don't pick from that list, they're outcasts. I see. <laughs> well, what a good brother you are. I know. <laughs> How did she take it? Oh, no, shoot. Erica's great. Now, now, Jonathan, he doesn't like any of the soft names either. So Okay. Because uh, we're Welsh, too. So Sawyer knows Welsh, but. I always thought Kelly would be fun for a boy. And I think mm -hmm. the name Ann would be a pretty name for a boy. I like the name Ariel. Girl names, I like Betsy. I like Emily. They're uh, old, old, old school names. You don't see uh, many Emilys and Betsy's these days, especially Betsy's. You don't see Betsy anymore, you know? And I really Betsy, like Trixie, Sally. Sally's okay. Sally's I love Sally. Not many Audrey's these days either. Audrey's not a bad name. It's a nice mm -hmm. name. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay so um how many 78s do you have uh, back to this record because i have some 78s we have some here that's uh, why i'm, I'm kind of curious i've got about 700 oh okay we might have 80 <laughs> 700 how do you catalog them david i just put them on my shelf so if if somebody wants to to see a particular record from like January of 1932, can you find it? Yeah. So do you play it like you'll just reach in and pull one out? <laughs> no, I've tried. I used to be really good at, at cataloging things. And the same thing with my photograph photographs. Mm -hmm. I would always have them in albums and everything. And now it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. There's a <laughs> not point. that bad. Not that bad, but. Uh, if if I just listen to the record, you know, it'll be on the top, you know. But, right. Um, well, I've always been in alphabetical records and music, but that system has gone out the window. We don't have that many, but I have thought about going back to my alphabet. Yeah, <laughs> oh. If I alphabetize anything, I only do it <laughs> once and then it deteriorates. <laughs> and, and you watch entropy happening. But, uh, anyway, there's a, I don't know if you've heard, uh, have y'all heard Seven Foot Dilly and his dill pickles? No. Nope. Oh, they're great. They're from Georgia, like in the 20s. And uh, the man that hmm. played the lead fiddle in the group, his name was Ahes Augustus Gray. And, wow. Uh, he, he won a fiddle competition in Georgia like nine times in a row or something like that. 
but he does a song called there's two songs that I really like. He did one called Strick a Lean, Strick a Fat. And then, well, the name of the group was uh, Seven Foot Dilly because the, uh, the man that was the lead singer and guitarist, his name was John Dillsong. But uh, so hence the Dilly. But uh, I really, I love their music. And they also did one called Bibb County Breakdown, which is really, really a cool song. We're going to have to check them out. Yeah. Hey, speaking of cool songs, are you going to play another one for us, David? Yes, sir. Let me think about it here. Let's talk right. about it. Nettie's Frog Gig and Kickapoo. Let's see how I'm that. excellent excellent and hey can i can i uh give a couple shout outs to some yes yes please do uh, a friend of mine last night uh, his name is jason king and he covered john bullard's tune and uh he's he plays the banjo but he has a really really he has the best cluck and the, the banjo has the best uh, banjo cluck in the business i think <laughs> and then uh another friend of mine she just covered it her name is michelle Payne, and she's from virginia and she's a doll, but I, I love to hear her play a fiddle and banjo. And she covered the same tune, which is uh, a John Bullard's tune. And John Bullard is really one of my best friends. He's from uh, Kentucky. And then we met him in Florida. And he's a little under the weather. So uh, the first one was for John. And uh, Okay. And, you know, we're going to finish the show today with, uh, with Michelle's version of John Bullard's tune. Oh, awesome. Thank you for that. And, and get uh, well, John. Yeah, we were wanting to feel better, too. Mm-hmm. And I feel better. I do oh. more. Jesse Burnett. She's a really sweetheart. She's from Arizona, and she covered this uh, song that I wrote. It's a it's a bluegrass song about the Flintstones. So it's called "Barney Rebel's Fit of Jealousy." In parentheses, I love you, Wilma. And it's basically a bluegrass song about the Flintstones. But <laughs> if Barney got it on with Wilma, 
<laughs> that's excellent. Well, I think we're going to open the show with that with that tune, if that's okay with you. Yes, sir. We'd love that. Be honored. Uh, excellent. And David, it's uh, it's great to talk to you again. Uh, thank you very much for coming back on the program. Thanks we really for appreciate me. it. Thank you, and see you soon. Get, you know, have better times in the future. <laughs> yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. back in luxurious agency secret headquarters in Chicago <laughs> and Toronto. Jesus, <laughs> um, it was great talking to David. It's always fun to, uh, to talk to him and hear him perform. Yes, it is. And I like how he always wants to talk about his friends and promote other people. And, you know, he's a real uh, networker. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And um we are back, though, and we're going to talk we about some back. other things for a while. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, talk about you. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay. Good. I'm doing okay. Good. I'm working I'm on, okay. working. In, I'm in fiddle land. I, I'm yes. transforming the painting studio into the fiddle shop. <laughs> it's sort of a makeshift fiddle shop. And I have some various supplies on order. I'm waiting to... Uh, for delivery on a few things uh, but I, I have made the form and last night I cut out uh, the spruce blocks the six spruce blocks the four corner blocks and two end blocks um, and uh, I'm going to glue those in with hide glue uh, after this recording uh, then I'm nice. going to, then I'm going to uh, use a scroll saw and uh, trim those uh those blocks to the violin shape uh okay. and then i'll be ready to practice bending wood oh good how exciting it, it, it's it's pretty fun to think about you doing it and to see any pictures you post keep them coming yeah if you can i'm not sure how i'm going to bend wood because i haven't okay. got a, a a bending iron yet but oh. i'm but i i'm thinking i have a way for, to do a temporary solution that oh. might work well enough for this this violin or this fiddle, I should say. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, if I do more, I'm going to use a more sophisticated model. Nice. Nice. Um, do you, this is a weird question, do you have to wet the wood to bend it? Uh, you dampen the wood, but oh. I understand that it's not steam that you're using to, to <laughs> bend, it's heat. And oh. that you're dampening the wood so the wood doesn't scorch. Okay. Oh, I see. All right. Well, pretty interesting. Oh, yes. so that bending iron is going to be a heat thing. Yes, it's a heat thing. So um, I was talking okay. to uh, to a, a mutual friend of ours about um, about bending irons and and possible ways of of doing it. Um, but we're not there yet. But I I okay. need to get on with things, and so I. I'm figuring out a, a way to um, to set up a, a temporary bending rig using okay. a soldering iron and plumbing pipe. Oh, okay. 
I don't so know if that'll plumbing, work. If it will yeah, work, I mean, the problem is the plumbing pipe is not the right diameter. I really oh. want a wider diameter for for bending around, but we'll see how it goes. I'm going to suggest a curling iron. <laughs> I'm sure that's possible. Yeah. I know. I'm thinking that too. It's a tube. It's electrical. It's hot. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I think people use all kinds of solutions, including, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, light, light bulbs, different ways of getting heat. And of course, you could just buy a fancy bending iron. But what fun right. is that? That's not very much fun. You know, it's way more fun to, to MacGyver it. Exactly. Yeah, good. Exactly. So I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I keep right. watching videos and reading and studying, and I practice every step a few times before I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I'm learning is that I'm going to have to sharpen my hand tools to um, <laughs> to become so sharp you could shave with them. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, <clears throat> because you, that sounds you like don't... a whole other project. Well, it is. Uh, it's going to take some time. But if you don't really sharpen your your chisels and your gouges, then uh, a couple things could happen. One is it's dangerous. Yeah. Uh, uh, dull tools are dangerous. And the, the other thing is you're apt to not have enough control when carving. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but like I say, I'm making this up as I go along. Well, no, I'm not making it up. They've been doing it for hundreds of years, but <laughs> I'm, <laughs> right. but I'm uh, learning as I go along. Let's say that. Yes. Yeah. Very good. I love it. Yeah, and you know, it may turn out to be a complete disaster. And I may just say, you know, I can't do it. Can't do it. But I'm mm-hmm. thinking that each individual step with practice is doable. Sounds great. You know, if you break well, it down, it's like if you if you fly fish a great big river like the Bow River. You know, you go out there and the river is so huge, you don't know how to begin to to deal with it. But if you break it down and you say, okay, let's look at a section of this river on the inside of this riffle, for instance, and you break it down and figure out where the trout live. And so instead of dealing with a great big river, you're dealing with a smaller river that you can get your brain around. And it's the same sort of thing doing something like this. It's a, it's a big project and uh, it's kind of overwhelming, but each of the steps is not necessarily overwhelming. So if you just break it down into steps and mm-hmm. concentrate on doing one step at a time, this is what I'm telling myself. Right. That sounds good. Well, that's kind of how I do my paper, which I'm working on. Um, because uh, first of all, I always over um, anticipate what I want to write about or talk about. <laughs> like I think of too many ideas. No. <laughs> yeah. But I really like it. I like it extra. And um, just like putting extra sprinkles on my Sunday. And um, so, you know, I'm kind of on this really fun reading thing. I've just been having a blast. You just have to be careful because if you put too many different kinds of sprinkles, Mm -hmm. you won't be able to tell one sprinkle from another. And it'll just be this, this muddy mess of sweetness. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I know that is the fear. I realize that that's kind of um, not the, the old way of doing it but i i mean anything that i've mentioned in that i'm looking at could definitely make a paper of its own and yet i want to have these three or four aspects approaching the uh discussion so um you know i i just enjoy it and i i find that i'm on trend on that right now so that's always yeah. good or set yeah. it all up as if it were three or four different papers and then just deliver them as three or four different papers well, that, that's a possibility. The um, the thing is, uh, you know, they, they're, they're parts of chapters of books. 
So it really is a longer piece that goes all together. And um, I don't mind bouncing around. And it's taken me, and of course, I'm not just bouncing around randomly. I do have a theory that these things are connected. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of about uh, looking at the symbols. So it's good to have a couple of different symbols. I've been reading an awful lot about film. I got a lot of library books. I thought you were and, reading about food. Oh, no, there's, there's, I'm reading about the history of um, film as well. I am reading about food because I'm linking um, movie logos, um, you know, half a dozen movie logos to, um, to these parties in the Renaissance um, and stuffed food. So things like pies and pasties. <laughs> I'm not I'm against pasties. Yeah. So um, I'm kind of just uh, exploring them all that their symbology might be connected. And um, that is, it's there just a, is there a place to buy pasties in Chicago? I have no idea. I'm sure there is, but I have no idea. The only place I've actually seen pasties for sale is on the upper peninsula of Michigan, <laughs> where there's yeah, well, several pasties joints I and they're yummy. And I think that is related to venison. Because um, I'm reading a little bit about venison pasties because there's some literature on it. It's something that um, I can find out about. A uh, part of the um, situation is I'm just going to turn down my phone here that's making all kinds of crazy noises while we're recording. And um, that I can find some Renaissance articles on venison pasties and there's some diaries that are out there. So I, it, it, and, and Michigan came up in some of my searches, as a matter of fact, which made me think it's got to be because of the venison. I think hunting. that it's uh, the reason why pasties are on the Upper Peninsula is because of, of uh, people from Cornwall um, who emigrated there to do um, mining work. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That does make sense. And so they're Cornish pasties. Mm -hmm. that they have now that's yeah. different than the tom waits style of pasty isn't know, that a dancing like, girl uh, yeah pasties in a yeah. g-string bottle yes. full of rum she's <laughs> yeah. so yeah. good uh -huh. and so uh -huh. yeah yeah no different maybe a different pasty i mean those pasties do cover something that's delicious inside so <laughs> it could be very similar <laughs> i wasn't going there uh, i just yeah, left so that for you right Sometimes you just have to lob a softball across the plate right. and let somebody well, else hit the home run. Yeah. I mean, really, the fun part about stuffed foods and wrapped foods is that um, they go way back beyond Cornwall and beyond Renaissance Europe. They, there's definitely accounts of Renaissance food, but we have accounts of it with um, First Nations and Aboriginal communities. Um, there was an anthropologist, Levi Strauss, who I avoided reading most of the years because the, the anthropologists I like didn't like him. And he had a little problem with uh, projecting, psychological projecting, and ethnocentricity of putting his ideas onto other people. So he had this um, book called The Raw and the Cooked. And he thought the difference between people was that some people ate raw food and civilized people cooked food. And it's such a load of bullshit. Mm, One, because very of curious, course, isn't it? Isn't it? And oh, people ate his books up. They, they, he's probably one of the most famous um, anthropologists. Uh, not my cup of tea at all. Um, so I'm more into cultural materialism in, in, in uh, anthropology. That anth but anthropological infighting, man. I love it. I know it's so much fun. <laughs> so um, he, uh, yeah, he was wrong because um, there's records of people cooking way before they had ovens and toasters and, and gas fires. It's, it's ridiculous. 
Um, this idea of inventing fire is silly too, because of course lightning hits trees and fire could be made from that. Um, or you could cook over, um, what are those things like in Yellowstone? You know, Yogi Bear, didn't he uh, cook in Jellystone over the geysers? <laughs> so you can find ways to cook all the time and make ovens and, and cookery out of wrapping leaves over food or plants or bark. So I'm reading about that stuff. It's pretty fun. Uh, reading about, of course, you know, there's another wrapped food. It's mummies. Isn't that revolting? Is that uh, it was a, it's a delicacy to um, people raided the um, pyramids to, to eat the mummies. No way, really? Uh, yeah, they were considered, um, yeah, there's all kinds of esoteric um, accounts of, of people. It's very magical. Um, Shakespeare mentions it's, eating. Is it, is it still considered cannibalism if, you know, if they've been dead for, say, a couple hundred years? It's considered medicinal cannibalism, in fact. And so, um, yeah, what's his name? Shakespeare mentions it at the end of one of his plays where he says, make a pasty out of someone's head, put a pasty around their head, and they serve them up at the end of Titus Andronicus. And so you're getting this in part, this is part of my metaphor that I'm looking for, you're getting this, because the outer shell is like the body and the inner stuffing and all the surprises that are inside of that, because you might want to disguise it, you don't know what's inside that pie. Could be flavors, could be a skull, <laughs> could be um, venison, it could be sweets. Um, they're metaphors for the inside the body or the soul. So very interesting stuff. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. Um, guess what I did find? So I'm finding all this random stuff. So I was going to say about my film logos. I have found very little in my history of um, Hollywood on film logo design. Um, that means know, there's lots of, of opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I have had a trouble. So some of the books are going right back to the library. You, it's hard to tell sometimes when you're researching what's, what's going to be in the back of the book, right? And um, so, uh, however, I did find some books like, okay, my Renaissance cookbook, not very helpful. But what do you think of when you think of almond milk? Um, I think of people who are lactose intolerant. Yeah, me too. Or and vegan. Vegan in California and yoga. Me too. Yeah. Uh, no, apparently well before the Renaissance, people were making almond milk. I was so shocked by this that I actually marked some pages and I thought I would just tell you about this recipe. I was yeah. so shocked. Um, so yeah, it's called uh, Bianco Mangiari. Do you like how I try to speak Italian here? <laughs> this is a weird idea. Eating white was in Renaissance day a symbolic and aesthetic act. The dishes might be sweet, like the one that follows. They might be made of capon or pike flesh. They might be based on rice, precursors of the risotto. And this is coming from the Renaissance cookbook by, I'm never going to be able to say his name, Berengario della Cinquitere. That sounds like five lands or five earths. And he lived in a fortress in a small town, Umbria, in Umbria. Okay, so this recipe starts like this. Prepare an envelope and a half of gelatin in a little cold water. Meanwhile, pound five ounces of blanched sweet almonds and three bitter ones in a mortar, adding a little water from time to time. Now, how do you know that they're bitter? Like, I don't know, is this a whole thing Maybe that there's, there's bitter almonds? Yeah, there might be. Maybe it's different species right. of almonds. Right. Um, yeah, so that kind of freaked me out. When they are crushed fine, dilute them with more water. You should use a cup and a half altogether. Work the compound through a fine sieve, line it with cheesecloth if it's not fine, and extract as much of the almond milk as possible. I hope you have at least a pint of it. 
which you should now slowly heat with a cup or so of cream, half a cup of sugar, the gelatin, and a couple of tablespoons of orange flower water. Bring it to a boil. It's kind of, wait a minute here. Yeah. It's kind of cheating if you add cream. Well, for a vegan, it would be, but I, 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 I'm assuming there's someone, there's some recipes where you don't add cream. You can make a gelatin out of almond milk for sure. And there's other recipes in there. I just thought this one sounded remotely delicious. Yeah. And some of them if, do if you not can, if sound you can, so good. You know, maybe you could do those sort of uh, jello mold art things that you do out of almond milk gelatin. <laughs> I know. I crossed my mind, but you're not going to see the decorations inside. Uh, <laughs> but there are definitely white. people making gelatin out of almond flour, almond milk. I just have no idea. But and you're adding actual gelatin. Well, in this recipe, you are, but gelatin's very old too. Sure, but that's I mean, uh, it's again. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be vegan. But they don't no, care if it's vegan. I get that. No, I, right. I I just asked the reason I asked what do you think of almond milk was because we do. Th I do. I just wanted to see if you also concurred that I think of it as coming out of California and um, new age culture and sure as an alternative to to dairy. Right. Whereas this was a recipe that people would eat. You know, um, he's he's a, a historian of the Renaissance, but he he has information that it goes back. Um, obviously, his res recipe is written for. I think this cookbook is published in 1975. He's trying to make these this a uh, kind of a. It's a very whimsical cookbook where there's some humor in it, and it's not got a lot of recipes, but it is pretty interesting. And he's just trying to show that you can make these recipes now for people who like that idea of the Renaissance. Um, but I just couldn't believe it. And I wondered how much this book might have influenced people looking to almond milk or where they would have found to think of it. Um, yeah, I just found it really pretty amazing. Can you make milk out of all of the nuts? Like, does it have to be almond? Could you do cashew milk, for instance? Absolutely. Yeah. I've made cashew milk myself. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Is it yummy? It's. Um, or just weird. It's not weird. It, it, you have to make it yummy. It's like asking if milk is yummy. Um, I would probably, I'm not a person who would sit and have a drink of milk. I, that Cocoa, sure. If I put something in it, hot cocoa I'll have, but I just won't drink a milk. It's well, I will have a drink of milk about once every four years, yeah, usually with, with something like a home-baked cookie. <laughs> yeah. If I'm really, the weirdest craving might happen. It's happened, hasn't, I haven't had a glass of milk in years, but every now and then maybe with a hangover, I'll just be like, oh, I just want cold milk. <laughs> or if you're not feeling well and you start to feel better and then you're like, okay, I'll have a glass of milk. But no, I normally would never oval teat or something. I would never have a glass of milk. Um, I was making golden milk, which is with turmeric at nighttime um, because I'd heard it was anti-inflammatory, but I just didn't, I just kind of lost my taste for heating up the milk like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll just take turmeric in a, in a capsule or something if I need to kind of pound it back. I see. Yeah. Do you want to hear another recipe? Oh, yeah. All right. I like this recipe because I like the little bit of way he chats. Um, when he, I, I just, I couldn't find any pictures of this guy. I'll, I'll keep looking, but I just wondered who is this guy? I can't even, I don't even know how I found this cookbook, to be honest with you. Um, so this is for figs. Um, there's an old Italian saying, peel a fig for your friend and a peach for your enemy. I have never understood it. That is, I understand that the peach skin is delicious, but that does not mean the fig isn't. I think it is. Perhaps it is great sweetness. It's great sweetness attracts flies and that accounts for the proverb. Or perhaps it has some level of 
lewd significance, which escapes me. What's funny is he doesn't know why that would be an insult. I do. Do you know why you give a peach to your enemy? Mm -mm. The pit has arsenic in it. So it's just really funny. That's where you but, would maybe. But your enemy poison. wouldn't necessarily eat the pit. Oh, you are killing me over here. You're so funny. I mean, you your enemy blind. might be smart <laughs> and just eat the delicious peach and discard the pit. I know you are so funny. They're not saying to give the I enemy. So the peach. funny, you forgot to laugh, right? Yeah, because it's a it's a metaphor. The peach, the poison is hidden in the peach. You're not going to give him a peach and hope he dies. You're going to make the arsenic. You're going to extract the arsenic and the poisonous. From the pit so they're really saying that's why he doesn't know why it's a, a bad thing to pass the peach on i know because i know arsenic is in peach pits ah. and that's probably because i'm in the illuminati isn't because that because you've um, got to think read between the lines oh by the way yes. um on twitter uh mm -hmm. a, a twitter feed called L illuminati official has started following me on twitter <laughs> i don't know if like there's something Sorry i should that. do I, I followed back, you know, and everything, uh -huh. but I don't know if like, if, if like I need to know a secret handshake or something so I can, right. you know, get to know uh, Illuminati official a little bit better. <laughs> I, I'm really looking funny. for a direction on this. I know that's funny. Um, I've, I've had contact from Illuminati people and um, they, uh, they, they dismiss my uh, membership. They're usually looking for people to join their, um, their organization. And um I'm like, I've already joined. I'm not going to send you any money. Sorry. Um, or perhaps it has some, um, Dante used it as to powerful effect in the Inferno, where the blasphemous and enraged thief, Dani Fucci, raises both hands at God with the sign of the fig. He is immediately set upon by its by serpents. This is nonetheless delicious. Take the biggest, fattest, ripest figs you can find. Chop up some walnuts, almonds, pears, and the pulp of an extra fig or two as well. Pound all this in a mortar, adding sugar and some spices if you wish, perhaps a little fennel seed. With your finger, make a hole in the center of each fig to be fried. Fill, this, fill with this mixture. Dredge the figs in a light batter made of flour, an egg yolk, a little olive oil, and white wine or liquor to water, or water to lighten, and an egg white, beaten stiff. Fry them lightly in abundant olive oil and serve after sprinkling with granulated sugar. It's just so archaic, I just love it. <laughs> So I did enjoy that. Didn't help me with my paper very much, but that's okay. So sometimes I do a lot of hit and miss when I'm writing. Well, I'm that's going to happen. Reading lots. Of course it is. Yeah. But I, God damn it. I'm learning a lot about some food. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I think it would be really interesting to, to take a deep dive into history of food, world history of food. Oh yeah. Well, I have a great book here and I actually think you will really love it. This is the best one I've gotten so far. And it's so literal. It's wrapped in stuffed foods. It's so fantastic. Um, it's not taking me back to um, the Renaissance, but it's definitely dealing with that whole idea of the symbolism of the food. Uh, most people would probably say, oh, wrapped food is great because it's street food and you can just carry it, which is true. You can carry it. And that is an easy, easy way of doing it. But it is, it, it does go back to that whole idea of um, the body and the soul and having a, a, a magical reveal. Um, so this book, Wrapped in Stuffed Food, I'm gonna have to recommend. I'm gonna have to send a copy to my sister and maybe to you. It's so good. I'm like just freaking out over every page. And it's from the proceedings at the Oxford Symposium on food and cookery in 2012. And I guess they just had the whole theme of wrapped and stuffed foods. 
And everyone is a really good writer and really interesting. So that's been a lot of fun too. Cool. Yeah. So I watched uh, a movie that's had a lot of talk lately. What's that? D Don't Look Up. Okay, tell me all about it. Well, I will tell you all about it. It's it's pretty good. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I, um, I thought it was a lot of fun, but it's also really depressing because it's just too close to the truth to you, you're, you're laughing, but it's like, oh, damn it, this is happening. So basically what happens is a woman physicist is watching in the sky and she finds something that looks like it's moving. She takes pictures of it and realizes it's a comet. And she tells her um, mentor or her professor, um, teacher, someone she's working under for grants, I guess. And they start doing the math on it and realize it's coming right for the earth. And so they have to figure out what do we do? How do we tell someone? So if they find some other physicists who also do the math and confirm, uh oh, this thing is coming to the earth and it's um, several kilometers wide and it's an event ending. It's like life extinction. Uh, so then they try and reach out and tell people. They go to the president and the president only thinks it's going to bring bad votes. This is a satire. It's got some great funny moments in it. It has every actor in the universe in it. Um, it's written by Adam it, it, McKay. It sounds like Ontario's COVID response. Definitely. It seems to be driven by the polls. Definitely. That while, happens while over our, and over again. While our premier is saying it's it's driven by data, by data. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I don't believe him. Mm -hmm. What's he want to say with that data? Whatever is going to get him the most votes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's true. Yeah. So she's doing it. It's Meryl Streep plays the president and she does a great job as you would expect Meryl Streep. Jennifer Lawrence is really good as the young physicist and Leonard DiCaprio, Leonardo DiCaprio is her, her um, instructor who she's obviously doing her PhD on or something. Yeah. And, um, oh, listen, it's a really, really good movie. I think they could have done, a, it's too long, probably for you. It's it's over two if hours. it's too long for you, Candy, you know it's too long for me. Well, my problem is that I would like 10 minutes of it to have been more funny. That's all. But I'm giving it an eight out of 10. I think it's one of the most important movies in the last couple of years, mainly because so many people have watched it and it's on Netflix and it's topical. It's a metaphor for um, environmental collapse and climate change. And it also plays out as a metaphor for your, your comments on politicians in Ontario and definitely for how um, the country in the United States has dealt with COVID. So, um, you know, it's just turned into a political um, argument it is very funny. There's some great moments in it. There's some beautiful photography and cinematography in it. And they have just enough humor. I would like, I would have liked just a bit more. But what's really good about it is that they do have an incredible emotional delivery at the end. Uh, so they have this struggle where they're trying to get the um, president to say that this is, we've got to come up with a solution of how to get rid of this. Um, how can we survive? We've got six months to survive this comet coming to the earth. That's how fast it's moving too, because it was very far away. And at first no one can see it. Um, and then it comes to the point in the movie where you can actually visibly see it. Uh, um, the president says, no, we can't deal anything with it. That's bullshit. It's probably not true. It won't help me get reelected. Turns out a couple of days later, it does turn out that she thinks it will help her get reelected. So they pull these physicists back in um, and then they try to find a way like taking in 
did you ever see Armageddon with Bruce Willis? They send um, a rocket up to, um, there's a, there's something coming to the earth. It's going to end lives. And they send Bruce Willis up there to blow it up with atomic bombs. So they try that here. I and then maybe you, I've seen that. Does he yeah. work in the movie? <laughs> then in this movie, don't look up. They have a character who's a combination of, but it's not Bruce Willis. It's not Bruce Willis. No, okay. no, different character altogether. No, they have a, they do have a general who volunteers to go up to space and he's going to blow up this um, asteroid or whatever it is, a comet. I don't know, what are they called? Yeah, a meteor. And it's, it's a rock, right? So they also get another person involved who's like in a uh, montage of Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, and Julian Assange. So they've got quite a little character here. He was, um, he's very good, but he's a, he was a little, Stag liked him. I was a little bit like, uh, just not quite, but he's so smarmy that it's incredible. And he's, God, his algorithms are going to work everything out, right? And he's going to invest in this uh, machine that they're not going to just blow it up. They're going to find out that there's gold and diamonds on this meteor, and they're going to um, mine it. So they're going to blow it up with these little machines that are going to be drills that are going to save it. So it, it is a pretty good idea that they get this whole idea that they'd only blow it up and save our lives if they could make money doing it. Um, I mean, the satire is good. It's dark. It's so close to the truth, though, that you're like, oh, my God. And they don't back down. The other good thing that's very interesting is they don't back down on the ending. What happens is that Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, and a few other people, he gets reconnected with his family, his sons. Uh, they've got a little band of misfits that have dinner like Thanksgiving. They buy a bunch of food and they have this big, beautiful dinner and they just talk about things. And it's very moving and touching. And that's the night that the meteor is going to hit the earth. They figured out the moment. They're just going to have a good dinner, lots of wine and chat and visit. And the earth blows up. That's it. They couldn't save it. Meanwhile, this um, Elon Musk slash Steve Jobs character and the president of the United States have all climbed onto a spaceship. And they're they going, yeah, they're going to save themselves from this terrible event. And they land on a planet. And, oh, it's just beautiful. And everybody comes off. I don't know why. They're all naked. It's pretty funny. I'm like, I don't understand why they had to be naked. But, okay, they all get off the um, spacecraft. And they beautiful Eden. And they're like, wow, look at this. Look at that. And Meryl Streep walks over. And she goes, oh, look at this cute little animal. Well, it bites her head off. And you realize they're surrounded. And they're all going to be eaten on this other planet by these dinosaurs. Or whatever they are. Weird animals. So, when that happens, I know. So they didn't back down from that. I thought it was really good. Most people, I, I just love it that everybody's watching it. I think the problem is that they couldn't come up with an argument that could have convinced anybody. The sad part is, here's this creative dynamic movie. It is a satire. I guess they did have to have it end like this, but the liberals and the right wing and the president, nobody could come up with a solution of how to communicate. And it's just kind of depressing that even the movie couldn't suggest something outside of what we're seeing as an alternative. And you kind of hope in art, you could just jump, jump ahead at that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there was no way out of that. What we see here happening, there was no kind of leap up to what, what could have been, what could have occurred. Um, but you know, I think it was really good. Eight out of 10. And obviously I, I'm not afraid to talk about it because I'm pretty sure anyone that's listening has already seen it. Um, it's, you know, getting a lot of press and a lot of viewership. Oh, yeah. Yep. 
Well, I didn't watch that. <laughs> we, we did watch a couple other films uh, uh-huh. this week. Um, one is a, a documentary. It came up because I was, I was trying to find um, a documentary that I had seen before because it was available for a while on a website, uh, but um, is not anymore. Uh, it's one that I think you can get on Prime in the US, but we can't get it in Canada. It's called The Surrounding Game. And, and it's about uh, some young men in the United States who are vying to become the first American pro go player in America. Mm. Um, they've started a, like a league and mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to create a, a, a professional go uh, environment in, in the United States. Um, very interesting documentary, but we couldn't find that. But instead we found one equally, if not more <laughs> interesting. Uh, it's a film called Free to Play. And it's a documentary from 2016. And it's about big money video gaming, something that was just breaking at that time. Um, And specifically, it was about people who form teams to play a game called Dota. Are you familiar with Dota? Not at all. Dota stands for... Defense of the Ancients. And everyone has a who plays has a five-person team, and you uh, you pick heroes. I think you alternate with the team that you play against, picking heroes, and like five players, five heroes per team. And each hero has different powers you know, whether it could fly or, I don't know, telepathy or uh, what what all the powers are, you know, blowing things up. And essentially the game is, it's fancy capture the flags. Okay. Okay. Um, you've got to send your heroes out to beat up on the, on the other heroes and you have to seize their ancient, which is the same as capturing the flag, as near as I can tell. Okay. Wow. And it's it follows this American team and a Chinese team and I think a team from the Ukraine and a team from Singapore. Um, and they do things like these are all mostly young men who are playing this. You know, they're like 18, 19, 20, 22, like that kind of age. Mm-hmm. And they interview their parents. And of course, the parents want them to like do something besides play those goddamn video games. And the kids are saying, look, there's big money to be made. I can have a career playing these games. And of course, mom is like, oh, just stop playing the damn games and go get a job. And finally, this one kid gets booted out of the house because um, he's he's got himself on a European team and he's he has to play on their hours. So he's up all night playing video games. He's not working. He's not going to school. Um, then there's another guy on this Chinese team that they, they profile uh, who um, he's going to school, but because his team was so successful in this tournament, he misses two exams and he's going to have to repeat a whole year. But if they won, they would have taken home a million dollar prize 
Uh, and the second team takes home, I think it's like four or 500,000. Uh, the, the team that, that this American kid is on, uh, they came in sixth and went home with $5,000. Uh, still better than a, a whack in the head with a, yeah. a, a smelly dead mackerel. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, um, it's hard to make a career on one $5,000 win split four ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they uh, they also have managers on these teams. And the managers are like coaches. Uh, and they kind of call the shots and, and direct the players as to, you know, to what to do. Hmm. It's super big. Yeah. And it's getting bigger. Funny. This well, it sounds funny. It's very social, it sounds like, at least. Well, yes, they're in they're in teams mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, and um, well, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Uh, you, you see this one team that, that wins, I think it's the Ukrainian team that wins the million dollars. Um, and they've almost lost. They're almost destroyed. And then they make this huge comeback and it's all really exciting. Uh, pretty, pretty fascinating kind of world, you know? Um, and it's very much of a generation. Like they interview a number of the parents and the parents just don't get it. You know, mm. they, they just want their kids to stop playing the stupid video game all the time. Right. And, and the, the parents don't believe that it's possible to have a career. But by this point already in China and in Korea, the great players of this Dota game are like rock stars. <laughs> Everybody knows them and they're rich and it, fascinating stuff. Sounds like it. Yeah, cool. And it's fun to hear a new game, a new sport or whatever coming out. Well, well, or yeah. it's been around for a while, maybe. Yeah, I think <laughs> uh, I think that game came out in the early 2000s, but I don't know when those kind of big money tournaments started. Right. That is pretty new, though. Yeah. And, that's and in this cool. case, they bring them all into the same building in which they each have this area in which they play and essentially sitting in front of terminals and they could see the other players, but they can't hear them. Mm. Yeah. Pretty fascinating. And there's a commentator is like a sort of like a hockey commentator, right? you know, talking about what's going on. Right. Nice. We also saw uh, a really curious movie that, it's not a good movie, Candy, but <laughs> I, I couldn't stop watching it. Yeah. Um, it's called I Walk the Line, and it has nothing to do with Walk the Line, the movie about Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash. Um, it's called I Walk the Line because they were able to get buy the rights to run some Johnny Cash music through it. So the soundtrack are tunes by Johnny Cash, but not always the best tunes by Johnny Cash. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yes, but there's Johnny Cash tunes throughout the uh, throughout the film, and it stars Gregory Peck and Tuesday Weld. Um, now I looked at some reviews after of this, and some of the reviews said that the biggest problem in this was that Gregory Peck was just totally miscast in this film but oh, Gregory dear. Peck said oh yeah there's a good movie on the cutting room floor <laughs> so yeah. he blamed the uh the editors or the directors so it's a it's a movie that's about 
it's set in the south, like in the in the Appalachians, maybe I don't know just where. And Gregory Peck is the sheriff in a in this small town area, um, and he he's married guy. He's got kids, and he meets this young woman who is Tuesday Weld, and he is smitten. He is totally smitten. Um, he follows this truck, which is being driven by Tuesday Weld's younger brother, who's like eight, and he's driving this truck. And um, they drive off into a field, and the little kid runs off, and Gregory Peck uh, talks to this, this young woman, and she says, please don't arrest us. You know, give us a break. I'm just trying to look after my little brother and, you know, nothing like this will ever happen again. Mm -hmm. Well, she starts coming on to him and they start to have this kind of relationship. Hmm. Meanwhile, right. Her family is in the moonshine business, <laughs> but there's also a guy who's like the federale and he's looking for the moonshiners. <laughs> now, Gregory Peck, he knows that there's moonshiners out there and he's okay with it because, you know, they're just getting a little bit ahead. Nobody's got anything living in the mountains. What's the big deal, right? Mm -hmm. So he's, he's willing to just live and let live. Meanwhile, he's having this fling with Tuesday Weld and, mm -hmm. and, and her family knows what's going on. Well. And they talk to him and they say, you know, we have an arrangement. We're okay with this. You know, you could continue to have some of this Tuesday Weld happiness, but we want to continue to run our stills. And he's like, well, I can't stop the federal guy. You got to get rid of the still. But they don't want to get rid of the still. And that's basically the movie. And then <laughs> it nothing ends well. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, then somebody dies, I'm sure. Uh, and nothing ends well, yes. It, right. Yes, yes. Uh, and no. it turns out that he wants to run off with Tuesday Weld, but she, she doesn't want to run off with him. She has right. no intention of she running off with him. Oh, and him. also she's married. He's married, well, too. Go. But she's oh, married, but yeah. doesn't tell him. Like, oh, she funny. knows that he's married, but he right. doesn't know that she's married until oh, he finds funny. out. Oh. Uh, but her husband's in jail. Oh, yeah, so it sounds it's, good. It's something retro, kind of. Uh, it's nineteen seventy. Gregory Peck, and so Gregory Peck did he ruin that movie? <sighs> maybe he ruined the maybe. movie. Maybe yeah. he did. Maybe, yeah. maybe if it had a better script, it would have been better. Right. But right. Um, I'm thinking that he might have he might have just ruined the movie. Right. Yeah. Well, well, I might look for it. I love Tusi Weld. She's cool. Yeah, it's worth yeah. it's. It's, I don't know what, what it is about it that, that we kept watching, but we did. Right. She's well, one of my I, favorite movies, Falling Down with Michael Douglas. Oh. She plays Robert Duvall's wife. Actually, you know, I continued to watch it. I believe that Sheila bailed <laughs> and went and made a phone okay. call. Right, right. There you go. Well, that's good. It kept you going just a little bit. And, and uh, Johnny Cash was semi-related to it. Johnny Cash was just like, we could sell tickets if we have Johnny yes. Cash music. Yes. It has nothing to do with the movie. So funny. So funny. You know what I ordered? I'm going to change the subject here. I forgot yeah. to tell you. Um, I ordered um, food online to yesterday. They came this morning. I've never done that before. Oh, like groceries? Yeah, groceries. Um, 
and it just it's very very cold here and I just thought oh my god maybe that this is the time to see if I feel like ordering groceries online so I did and I ordered fish um, um fish oil red boat fish oil and it had a little thing on it fish sauce fish sauce yeah yes. and it, I just did you know it just turned 10 years old what the company yeah no I had no idea yeah I thought it might be way older than that but it, it's only turned 10 about maybe last fall or something because it had a little sticker on it 10th year anniversary I just thought that was really funny I wanted to mention it to you <laughs> and it was really nice having groceries delivered I could see getting quite addicted to that it's where did you uh, get them delivered from I got them delivered from a, I don't know which store they came from, which location, but it was online on Whole Foods. Ah. Yeah. So I tried it and I liked it. I've and never, I've got something my, my brother me. does that. He he orders, he has, he doesn't get his food delivered, but he gets a curbside pickup at right. Walmart. Right. That'll work too. Well, it wouldn't work for me. I no. mean, I think I might rather have COVID than shop at Walmart. But, <laughs> oh, okay. I meant in general, the pickup, the store side pickup. Yeah, but that's what he does. He orders no. what, the stuff that he wants and then he goes and picks it up. And that way he doesn't have to go in the store because he's quite worried that um, that this latest Omicron uh, variant is so transmissible. He doesn't want to go yeah. in any stores. Yeah, well, I get it. And that, you know, that's weird because, you know, we had a funeral last week and basically i'm doing the countdown uh you know when is five days after that funeral checking for symptoms or maybe getting tested um that's kind of like kind of mindset when we're at the funeral i was like damn you know we're kind of taking a risk here um everybody was wearing masks but you you do kind of think of like oh god do i have to need well now watch five days later if i've got because omicron spreading so quickly yeah yeah and i saw two placentas do you remember yeah. me telling you about two placentas? Um, one of the weird things is that, and we talked about it on this podcast. Oh, was I th- you were just like walking ago. down the street and you saw a no, couple of placentas. No. Okay. We saw someone we nicknamed two placentas. Oh. And I mentioned them. Yes. We, I mentioned them because I talked about them a couple of, The last time I saw most of the people at this funeral was at the last funeral, unfortunately, right? Um, just before we shut down in 2019. And I talked about her on, well, I just wasn't even going to say who it was. I wasn't going to say if they were male or female, that we saw two placentas then and we saw them. We had a sighting this funeral too. (laughs) So I just want to make an announcement that we saw two placentas again. (laughs) And um, they are quite a character. We saw lots of people. It was very, very good to see so many family members and friends of family, but a shitty reason, of course. Mm-hmm. And I also want to correct myself before I even mistakenly, I guess I was so um, jabbered there when I was talking about the peaches. It's not arsenic. It would be cyanide. Peach pits don't have arsenic. They have cyanide. in them. Rice has arsenic. There you go. There you go. And I will post that recipe, those two recipes. I didn't finish reading the recipe. I'll post it on Facebook for anybody who might, on social media, if anybody wants it, because it's kind of a cute recipe. I'm going to try it. <laughs> oh, I have a fix it. You do? Yes. And my fix it has to do with succession. Oh, okay. I was certain at the beginning of season three of Mm. succession, you know, the character of Sandy, who maybe has syphilis 
who gets very debilitated, but but hates Logan and Logan hates him. And he has mm-hmm. a daughter whose name is also Sandy. Only I think they're spelt differently. And his daughter, I was certain, was the CIA agent in MI5. And so nice. had acted previously with, with the character of Tom. And I had mentioned that on one of the podcasts. Um, and I was just curious what her name was. And I went and looked it up and realized that it's hard to even say these words, Candy. <laughs> I was, or, or I was, oh, I was, funny. I, 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 I was mistaken. Yeah. It happens to me all the time. So I'm, <sighs> I'm used to it. I was sure um, it was the same actress. Well, I was so I, sure, Candy. Right. It was funny thinking that there was two actors from that. It made me wonder if the production had carried on from MI5 into Succession, if there was some connection there to have those two actors repeat. I just feel thankful that I discovered my error before somebody called me out. Yes, I know. Hey, um, which makes me wonder if anyone has watched Succession that he didn't notice it, but Sandy is one of the best characters and we never even talked about them. I love Sandy. They're just like a great nemesis. Which Sandy? The Oh, the the male Sandy. The guy, yeah, the male guy, the guy, yeah. He's good. He's yeah, so we, we've been watching Succession through uh, again, and we finished the, the second season, or we're almost finished the second season, mm. and then we'll watch the third season uh, again. Right. Um, you know, there's got to be holding up for you to watch it twice. Well, it's definitely it's definitely holding up, and some of the episodes are are really quite mm. brilliant. They're mm-hmm. really really very creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I really think that key to to driving the whole piece are the characters of tom and greg mm-hmm. they're like the comic relief so characters yeah in a way but also you see throughout that tom is only concerned for himself absolutely like all of them but he yeah. in particular yeah. he seems even especially concerned for himself yeah and i guess because maybe maybe i know me maybe i'm hoping for some kind of you know, lightness, somebody to be not like in a Jim Thompson novel where even the kids are criminals or Deadwood where everybody swears, you know, you're just hoping maybe there's one character that will have redemption and there he is hanging out with Greg all the time. So it's going to be hard to believe that Greg will come out okay. Oh, uh, Greg Greg will come out okay. I'm I'm convinced that Greg will come out on top um, because he is, he's completely has no competencies. He's not good at anything. Uh Uh, He has no business experience um he just is this goofy guy who's managed to insert himself <laughs> into the situation and they keep him around they keep right. giving him bigger jobs right but i thought i i guess by come out okay i meant ethically oh well no ethically. spiritually, spiritually. Eth- ethically i mean he's already yeah he's, he's already uh, destroyed the uh the documents <laughs> right that's right that's right <laughs> last night we watched the episode where where he he let tom know that he didn't destroy all the documents and tom wants them back mm, mm. yeah some good writers on there um i was thinking about um character development and that's a really you wonder how much character development is really happening it's more like reveal because they're just bad and they're going to stay bad um do you watch ted lasso i don't know what that is oh it's oh my god it's like the best tv show and it's on Apple TV. And it's just a beautiful, you know, how feel good Parks and Rec is? 
Parks and Recreation was. Yeah. It's kind of like another beautiful sitcom uh, universe where it's just beautiful. And um, but it's funny because I wanted to look into, you know, they show his character and you get introduced to this one character. He goes to um, he's a coach in the United States and he goes he gets hired by a football team in um, England only secretly. He doesn't know it. They want him because he's a bad coach. They want him to screw up this team and it and it goes under. He, they, um, she just the owner of the team wants revenge on her husband who loves this team. So she's hired the worst coach she could. This sounds thinks. so familiar. Maybe it's a, a fish out of water common premise. It might not be a very maybe I've heard premise. about premise. Yeah, maybe you've heard about it. But he when they develop his personality, you get introduced to him and he takes over. He comes to this uh, town and he takes over the office and he hangs up this pyramid. And so I was really curious, what the hell is that pyramid? And it actually is a real thing. It was from a basketball coach in the States who created a pyramid of success. And it's all his little adages and what it takes to be successful. Um, so I had to look that up and his name was John Wooden. And the character Ted Lasso really does base, you start to realize there's something about him. If, if Groundhog Day was, um, this is like the opposite of succession where people are just bad and you're, they're just even worse than you could imagine. Kind of like Sopranos. I mean, the only hope in Sopranos or Mad Men is that new generation. And they just reject that. They reject their parents, right? Um, you're hoping they do anyway, same as Breaking Bad. But in succession, they just seem to keep on working within that realm of corruption and corporate mindset. Um, but Parks and Recreation and Ted Lasso, they have this redemptive quality to them. And so I wanted to kind of see why is Ted Lasso so great? And if Groundhog Day is a great parable of Buddhism, this is like a great parable of something like A Course in Miracles or some new age religion. And um, it's really good without being religious at all, not even tiny bit, neither is Groundhog Day, but it's a great metaphor for, or enactment of Buddhism. Anyway, oh, you've got to try and find Ted Lasso someday. It's just the best show. I don't think we get so the good. Apple TV um, streaming. Right. You oh, might I know we get don't. it on your computer. You could probably get it on your computer. I watch it on the computer. Ah. So, yeah. And I don't know what other shows are on there. You know, I'm right now, I'm kind of trading off um, my apps, my streaming services, because I feel like, oh, okay, I've used up Netflix. <laughs> I've hit the end of Prime Video. I've used it up. So uh, I'll, I'll cancel something like Hulu yeah. and go on to use Apple TV or something. I mean, I still haven't been quite ready to go to Brit TV yet. Well, you know, that's our our, our default when there's nothing else right, we can watch. Right. We yes. just find, because there's, I, I mean, there's millions of British police procedurals. Yes. And, and none of them are really bad. No, you're right. They're all well. Really maybe good. the Midsummer Murders. Maybe they're bad. Those are, but they have their own kind of feel-good quality at yeah. nighttime. If you're tired, you know, it's uh, weird. All they're all, the kind, they're of all kind of watchable, and yeah, you know, and uh, some of them are quite good. Like sometimes you'll run into ones like uh, like uh, Vigil was. Well, it was it was quite interesting. It was although maybe it was it just was too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I watched um, something called Stay Close this week uh, of the British. It was on Netflix. And it was a British crime series. And, and I, I kind of liked it. I didn't love it, but I kind of liked it. I, I didn't hate it. It was not, it, you know, I guess really prime suspect would be the, the ultimate 
where you get and, and MI5 is really good too, where you just fall in love with the characters mm. and you just feel compelled and then you want to know what the hell is the murder, who's the murderer, what's the mystery. Yeah, um, or like one, Cracker, in which you just, yeah. just oh, hate love. the characters. <laughs> I know. But I am hungry for that feeling. I would love that feeling. So if anyone has a crime drama like that, please let us know. But meantime, don't be um don't be bugging Candy. She's got a paper to prepare. No, no, bug me away, right? Emails, please, please bug me. <laughs> I still need content. I still feel tired after 11 hours of uh, reading. I've got to go watch something. Well, I guess. <laughs> Actually, I'm hoping I can just write this paper this weekend and then I'll move on to other things. Because, you know, I'm on two panels on the conference as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when I read that, I've printed them out and I'm like, oh my God, I've got to be ready to talk about this stuff. The fun thing about the panels is it's kind of already stuff I'm, I'm really immersed in. I've got, a, I've got research, I've got opinions, I've got, I've got content to bring to those panels. But still, I'm like, oh, I'm definitely watching The Matrix again. And I'm definitely going to watch Dune again. And then there's another one called um, Altered Carbon. Um, and that sounds really good. I have never watched it, so I'm going to watch that because um, it's mentioned somebody else is bringing that into the panel, uh, the round table, as you, as you would. It's not really a presentation. It's going to be a round table. And um, usually people are pretty feisty and it's exciting and you get a lot more content. I'm looking forward to it. And well, I'm just hoping it doesn't get canceled. Well, that's always a possibility. It really is. I mean, obviously cancel it if it's dangerous. That I agree with. It would go online anyway. It would be probably pretty late to get it to go online now. Maybe, maybe not. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, uh, some more things on, on the YouTube. Okay. Uh, yeah, sounds good. Because I realized that over the past year, I've watched a lot of what I can only call canoe trip porn. <laughs> you know, it's it's, you know, people going out on canoe trips mm -hmm. uh, to various levels of extremeness mm -hmm. uh, and filming it. Hmm. I right. don't know what's so compelling about, about them. And maybe I'm kind of through it, um, but there's, well, there's a lot it's of winter and it looks like hopeful for the summer. You might be, make you feel like you're going into it. Like I don't bake anything particularly after watching British bake shows. Hmm. There's um there's one I I've been particularly enjoying lately called Puddle Jumper. It's set mm -hmm. in northern Saskatchewan, and it's this guy who goes out on solo canoe trips and cuts trails and uh, camps, cooks, fishes, gets rained on. In fact, that's what they're all sort of about. They they all have the same um, kind <laughs> of deal. But right. what one of the things that's happening is there's been a um, a lot of advances, I think, in technology in terms of, I guess, GoPro and mm -hmm. uh, how, I think at the heart of it has to do with how you're going to power um, your, your cameras for a trip, for a <laughs> canoe trip. And right. I think the deal now is you not only have a ton of batteries that you have to haul around, mm -hmm. but um, some of these people now have um, solar powered rechargers. So when you get a sunny day, you can recharge up all your batteries. 
so that you can fill right. more right. stuff. And right. whereas early on when you'd see one of these things, there would be typically two cameras, but he would have a GoPro on his head and then he would have one facing him from the other end of the canoe, typically. <laughs> but um, now you're seeing people bring drones so they could do mm -hmm. the drone shot and they bring the underwater cameras and they do things like they'll set up a camera on a tripod on shore and then go out in the canoe and they film themselves canoeing by. <laughs> but the only way they could do it is if they set up the camera first and then go back and get the camera. Right. That's what Survivor Man does a lot of times. Oh, yeah. I guess it's the same yeah. kind of mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he's thing, inspired yeah. that. I mean, look how generative he was that he's inspired that. I'm sure people watch that to get tricks. And well, things. yeah. And, and some of these people like to go on, on the most unpleasant possible journeys. Um, yeah, that's it, scary. In particular, <laughs> there's two brothers, Ted and Jim Baird, who they do like, we're going to do a 25-day boreal forest canoe trip to Hudson's Bay, you know, where they, they're going to have to deal with lack of portages, um, bears, maybe they'll get into polar bears. I don't know. Um, some of these guys get kind of annoying. There's some, like this one called The Pursuit of Passion that features a guy and his buddies who are particularly good at whitewater canoeing. And mm. it's quite the thing to to be going down a rapids with these guys because <laughs> they can turn these canoes on a dime. So I'm just going to just go through a little list of these okay. in case people are interested in looking right. for this kind of thing. Um, Lost Lakes is one. Puddle Jumper, Fisherman Boyle, Jim and Ted Baird, Separate Channels, The Pursuit of Passion, Explore the Backcountry, Outdoor Rob, um, and I don't know, there's more, there's lots of them. And it seems like it's become a thing. That is funny. I guess it really adds a, an extra layer to your camping trip. <laughs> I guess, or maybe they want to be stars or want to be filmmakers. I don't know. I think it's an odd thing. But for me, as someone who's been going on canoe trips, mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty good to be able to try to find videos from people who have gone to those places. True. Right. So, so it's you, a resource. Yeah, it's resource. So, yeah, yeah. As a resource. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, which reminds me that now, you know, I'm going on a canoe trip in May, and well, our our fourth has dropped out um, due to a, a health issue, and uh, uh -oh. we need to either find a fourth or make it a three person trip. Mm -hmm. Three person trip is possible because East Texas Red has a solo canoe. Mm -hmm. So we can rent one two-person canoe and have the solo canoe and go with three people, uh, or we can find a fourth person. So Ooh. if any of our listeners out yeah. there <laughs> is interested in going on a canoe I trip to the Tobogamy area in May, well, you can um, you can email us at theagency.podcast at gmail.com and tell us why we should take you. You can win a trip. <laughs> and by win a trip, I mean you have to get yourself there. And, get and you have to there. pay your share. But you know what would be amazing is what if a filmmaker or someone who wanted to start to use their GoPro or have an excuse to um, figure out to bring batteries and do the podcast from there? 
Yeah, that would be And film you guys. And you guys can have all those challenges of setting up cameras and how do we make this look cool? And for anyone who whose interest has been piqued by our suggestion that we need a fourth person, um, the, uh, the loop we're doing is the Donald Lake Loop, and it's in the southwest part of uh, the Tomogamy area. But you don't access it from Tomogamy. You access it from the other side, from the Sudbury area, and go northeast to get at it. And the plan is to drive up, stay there one night at a lodge, have a nice meal, um, rent the canoe at the lodge, park vehicles there, and then take off for a week and then get back to the lodge, have a nice meal, stay over, and then have a leisurely drive mm. home. So that's the plan. Looking for a fourth. If you're our fourth, theagency.podcast at gmail.com. I love it. And I have a question if you're emailing or anybody wants to email. I'm, I'm thinking about this, the movie Look, Don't Look Up. And here was all this disaster presented to humans. And is it that we just don't have enough disasters? Do we need to have more disasters in order for us to have a moment where we might decide to deal with the challenges we have? All of the challenges. How many more disasters? Because well, it maybe seems one to me we've been living in a disaster for a couple of years. How many more disasters do you want? Well, that's what I'm wondering. Have we just not reached our limit of disasters? Uh, pandemic's not enough. Um, uh, cruelty by police is not enough. Uh, oppression, corporate um, uh, oppression as well, not having livelihood of jobs. How many disasters do we have to have till we might decide, okay, here's Maybe our we need a good old-fashioned earthquake. <laughs> I hope you remember, not. I guess we were probably in high school at the time when that, that film came out, yep. The City That Waits to Die. Oh, you remember that? No, I, was, I about, don't have uh, any clue what that is. Oh, really? That's it funny. Was, no, never even heard of it. Oh, it was a film about, um, I guess, San Francisco and the San Andreas Fault and how there's going to be another great big, oh, within mm. how many years there's going to right. be a well, great there big was. earthquake. There was. But I mean, the big one. The big one. I Okay, I guess that wasn't the big one. But I, I remember like the day after if, if bombs went off, if nuclear bombs went off, that was with Jane, oh, I forgot her name. I want to say Jane Hamilton. Um, but I remember that disaster movie, but I loved all those disaster movies in general, but I don't remember that one. I'm sorry, Eugene. Yeah, I remember that one. I think I saw it in high school. That one, and of course, the other film that we all saw in high school, and I'm sure you saw this one too, was, <laughs> do you remember Paddle to the Sea? Yeah, I think we've talked about it here before. Yeah, I love that, I love that. Yep, it's where a little canoe goes along. Yeah, um, a little carved canoe. And yeah, yeah, delightful film. I think we could find that on YouTube. I think it is on the YouTube machine. Yes, we could post that. It's a a delight. And it must have been an NFB film. And and the NFB films are, in general, um, really high quality. Right. I think I had said that um, Bambi meets Godzilla was an NFB. And I need to fix it on that. Um, It wasn't exactly, but it wasn't not connected either. I, for, I, I did look it up and uh, um, they were Canadian. I think that's why I thought that. Ah. And, and they continue to make more films, but um, I think that's why I thought it wasn't necessarily NFB, but they were Canadian. So there's another fix up that I forgot about. Okay. We so, are, I mean, in fact, if we really dug deep, there's probably a lot of stuff we have to fix. <laughs> <laughs> I usually remember later. I really do. Yeah, all of me. Candy's mistakes. I know. Well, because I don't like to say anything I haven't already, like, 
I told you, there, I had that pal, Matthew, who he would do a card bet with you or something. And he said, you know, I'm not going to bet unless I know the my outcome. And I'm like that with an argument. I don't, I won't propose an argument unless I already know the outcome. <laughs> I've already, I won't say something I know if I haven't already read a lot about it or something. <laughs> I'm just well, that's like that that, I think that's in the art of war. There you go. Suit. I must have learned it from I, that. I, yeah, I think that the idea that you you win the you win the war before starting the battle there you go must be the art of war yeah on that I read note the war of art too <laughs> which was like a steve pressman book the war of art and he also wrote thermopylae but he wrote a kind of a motivational book about writing and resistance there you go okay talk to you soon next week in fact right. thank you again david sawyer for yeah. joining us and um who and knows what we'll be us. doing next week i don't know. i know who does know we don't know i'll be doing more reading <laughs> with more esoteric information from the renaissance excellent I'll talk to you later bye. okay talk to you later bye